Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Comic Show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. This week, we are reviewing Generations Thor number one and Nightwing, the New Order number one, which makes us ask the question, how much can you change a character before he's no longer himself? I did not write that copy because I would have said him or herself. But that but is it's Nightwing. So it's, 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 it's Nightwing, but I mean like any character. But uh, we also have beat reporter Nick Inquist joining us. To try and answer our question that is gender specific, apparently. And he also wants to talk about DC's Jack Kirby 100th birthday specials. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co founder of monkeysfanrobots.com. Joining me in the conversation is my co host, editor of the comic book section of Monkeys Fighting Robots, Anthony Capasto. What's up, Internet? Also, a writer of Poor Copy, apparently, gender. Specific copy. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feedback is very welcome. Comment, tweet at us. Let us know how we're doing, what books you want us to talk about. And Matt, this is kind of a weird week because this is a fifth week, which is kind of like a leap year in comics because it throws everything off. I also look at it as like sometimes there's an extra paycheck in these type of weeks, depending on how those line up. Is it a three paycheck week? Oh my God, it's the best. So that's how I kind of lived. Hey, speaking about gender specific, I just want to put a little shout out to, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Ed Screen, Screen, Ed Screen, uh, he was cast in Hellboy and he stepped down because he believes that the character should be an Asian character that he should have been representing because it was like crazy, you know, there was crazy whitewashing controversy over his casting because uh, for the Hellboy character he was going to play, I guess it was an Asian American character. And he was just like, I'm going to step down and I'll let somebody else take the role. Good for him. That's that's awesome. I thought you were going to do what I do. Good for you. I thought you were going to do that to me. I would never be as condescending as you in regards to like equality in representation in film. <laughs> you, want to, you want me to condescend about that? The internet would roast me. Oh, man. Speaking of internet roasting, these generation books, I do they feel forced? Are they forced? I'm confused. Yeah, so Generations, Marvel's lead up to Legacy, haven't really been impressing me too much. The the Hulk one seemed really out of nowhere. They're all just kind of these weird random one-off stories, and I think it's bumming people out. I think they thought that they would have more weight and go somewhere. The Hulk one was whatever. Gene Gray, I didn't even read, to be honest. I don't care about the Phoenix. I liked Wolverine. The Wolverine one, if you're going to go out and buy one, buy the Wolverine one, because it's actually really good. It, it, it's a really good story with X-23 and, and Logan. It's heartfelt. It really, it hit me. It hit me where I feel things. 
And I like that. But I was really looking forward to the Thor one because my local comic shop, everyone was saying that Thor, because it's written by Jason Aaron and he's writing Legacy, this was going to be the one that has ramifications. This is going to be the important one. You have to read Generations Thor. And there's like one page at the end that kind of teases Legacy and the rest is just exactly what we got from Hulk and everything else. It's a random story. Spoiler alert. Odin has sex with a phoenix. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've, it's weird, because I picked up this book, and I was like, okay, where are we at the world with Thor? And I'm just confused on Thor mythology at this point in time, because Thor could lift the hammer, and then he became unworthy, and then they made him Donald Blake, and then he found the stick. Like, that's the Journey in the Mystery Thor universe. So I was trying to figure out what time frame this Thor that they were showing was. And it just... Young Thor. If you're reading Jason... If you've read Jason Aaron's Thor from the beginning, this is, like, during Viking times, like, centuries ago. So you've already seen this Thor in his writing. Yeah, Jason Aaron's Thor, especially before female Thor, before Jane Foster, when it was still male Thor... He basically, his first couple of story arcs, he had three Thors. He had present-day Thor, past Thor, who didn't hold the hammer yet, and future Thor, when he's the All-Father. And that was a very prominent part of his Thor story in the beginning. So yeah, we've seen this version of Thor before. It's interesting. You know what's funny is this one, like the Thor that I've read in my lifetime, like the Walt Simonson Thor, the the older Thors, the Jack, Jack Kirby Thors, I think there's a few of those in there. A few Jack Kirby Thors. A couple, maybe one or two. There's a few of those. This young Thor doesn't feel like Thor to me. No, he's a brat. Yeah. He's he's a total brat. He kind of remind it kind of makes me feel like a he's the Chris Hemsworth of the Thors. How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? No. no um, I can't agree. But I mean, I it's also like it's a modern take, you know, like Thor talking about banging chicks. I don't ever remember that happening in the comic books when I was a kid. And then to have him say that now, it's just like, I don't know. I guess I'm getting old. I don't I don't know. It was just weird. Just weird. That That's the point, though, I think, is that he's this young, brash Thor that he's not he's not worthy of the hammer yet because he's still concerned with these, you know, superficial things, banging chicks, drinking mead, partying with his bros. Like, he's not worthy of the hammer yet. He hasn't gotten to the point where you know him from Jack Kirby and Walt Simonson. Yeah, but he's learned from his dad. If his dad, you know, having sex with a phoenix, I mean, you, I learned it from you, dad. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that I did like about it, so I was, like I said, I was disappointed because it just seemed kind of like a weird outlier, didn't have the ramifications that I hoped it would, and it was just kind of like a weird Thor versus Apocalypse story. I can see where it has some ramifications in Aaron's Thor run, because Jane Foster kind of realizes she can't give up her humanity. And considering we have a story coming up in Thor called the death of Jane Foster, I think what she learned in this issue is going to be important. Maybe I I can only say it. So I can see what he was doing. I, I like that aspect of it. Her coming to grips with her humanity, learning from this Thor who knows nothing, this Jon Snow of a Thor um, huh, I think Jon Snow is even less of a douchebag than this Thor. Oh yeah, Jon Snow. Jon's not a douchebag. Jon's 
just he just knows nothing. Yeah, he knows nothing. Um, and I felt like Aaron just like rewrote all of Apocalypse's like history very quickly. He's like, eh, he was he was in Egypt when they were building <laughs> pyramids and defending it from the Viking invasion. What the freak was that? <laughs> Well, there was an editorial note in there somewhere because Apocalypse is just like, ah, we meet again, Odinson or whatever he says. And there's an editorial note like, oh, see, Uncanny Avengers issue whatever. I haven't read Uncanny Avengers issue whatever, so I don't know if that's where they change whatever. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if we can put that wholly on Aaron. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he still wrote the book. (laughs) So he could have just fixed it back. You're saying just I I don't know. I just. I don't know. The X Men movie made him more of an Egyptian per- Egyptian god than you know. I remember Apocalypse. He was never. He was never in an X Men movie. Oh, that that didn't exist. What I don't. What didn't exist? Like <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like that wasn't. Uh, no, no. We've we've got X Men, X Two, <laughs> First Class, Days of Future Past, and the Wolverine movies. Like that's that's all we have. <laughs> Wait, you're even keeping Wolverine Origins? Oh, man. I feel like an ass. <laughs> I misspoke. I wasn't prepared for this. All right. No, we're losing that one, too. Oh, man. Even the oh, way, like, she... And Deadpool. And Deadpool. Even the way that she enters in the, the thing is just haphazard. It's just like, poof, I'm in. Poof, I'm out. Like, there's no, like, rhyme or reason why they're together at all. No, they haven't explained anything about why these heroes are being time displaced it, apparently it has to do with the end of secret empire which as of the time we're recording this is not out yet so we don't know but yeah because the new york times Marvel's. only spoiled the other pages <laughs> yeah they didn't spoil that page which again just goes to marvel's whole wonky release schedule there where they're just like let's release books that reveal things about books that haven't happened yet so i don't know if, the, if there's a weird I mean, Secret Empire is all about the Cosmic Cube, so there must be a moment somewhere where the Cosmic Cube does its Cosmic Cube thing. And just flashes everybody. And they're just like, you're all going to go back to these significant or insignificant moments in your predecessor's past. Or maybe, like, they just, like, I don't know if it, like, it bounces and just shoots shit, you know, everywhere. And and then it bounces back and they're back. Like, who knows? It could just be, like, a millisecond that they're gone and they don't even know that they're gone. Yeah, um, but... It, but it is, but it is random. You're right. It does seem really weird. We just kind of have to accept that it happens with no rhyme or reason. And I know that we're gonna end up talking about another Elseworld tale, man. But like, I'm not really a fan of these Elseworld tales. <laughs> I feel like this it, is an Elseworld. This is in continuity. This is not an Elseworlds tale. It's pretty close to an Elseworld tale. Mm, nah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no importance to this this thing at all. Well, that's that, and that's my biggest problem with it is that this is just more Marvel marketing where they're going to pump out all these books, all these events, and they're going to say, this is important, and then just nothing. Like, like, And this was the one that was supposed to be important. Like, I, I don't want to give them a pass, but I'll give them a pass on Hulk and Phoenix and whatever else. But this was the one that's supposed to tie directly into Legacy. And all we get is Odin making out with the Phoenix? Like, that was... Um, Unless, like, that's, like, the crux of Marvel Legacy. Unless Marvel Legacy hinges on Odin banging the Phoenix, it was it was not important at all. <laughs> I 
I really hope it does now, though. I hope that's I hope that's Marvel Legacy's point. They're like, oh, you hated that we were gonna like preach at you about politics. Now here's just a full blown sex ex- <laughs> You know, I don't even know what the word I want to put after that of like cartoons having sex or or comic books having sex. Like it's a Marvel hentai. Like it's. <laughs> How does it work, though, man? I mean, like, I don't know how it works. Did you watch American Gods? No, I am. I'm reading my way through the novel for the first time right now. So don't spoil anything. But I did. I did read this in one of the first chapters is where there's a really weird sex scene that I'm sure is what you're referring to. Yeah, there's a sex scene with flames. And where she like she like eats a guy, basically. Oh, no, that's a whole nother sex scene. That's pretty impressive. Oh, okay. No, and so I only I made it through like the first like three episodes of it because uh, I think it's on Showtime or Stars or whatever it was. Oh, I didn't, stars, yeah. and so I lost it. But there is a there is a gay sex scene, and with fire. And at the time of climax, it's fire. Really, you're gonna take a gay sex scene and your the accurate description would be flaming. <laughs> that seems really wrong. But well, it got mystical. I mean, they're gods. It was just it's it became like it was it went very trippy. And so when somebody goes like, I wonder how Thor, how Odin and Phoenix can have sex, and I was like, I think I've kind of seen that through uh, Neil Gaiman's eyes. So I, <laughs> it's a I distinct to, possibility. I'm like I said, I'm tearing through the novel right now. I'm I'm not gonna watch the show until I get through it, but uh, I'll be sure to look out for that scene. Well, you know, you know Stan Lee's point, his viewpoint on all this, right? When people ask him, like, "Oh, who would win between Thor and the Hulk, and how does this happen?" Blah, blah, blah. Stan Lee's argument is just like, whatever the writer thinks. <laughs> it's however the writer does it. Like, who who wins, Thor versus Hulk? Stan Lee will just say, "Whoever the writer wants to win." Oh no, that's I totally know that. It's um, when you know you have a Thor versus Hulk. It's depending on who the guest star is. If you're a guest star in the person's book, you're losing. Like you're totally losing. Yeah, but but the, but the point being is that how does Odin have sex with the Phoenix? However, Jason Aaron wants, just however he wants it to happen. That's gonna be so weird. I'm giving this like a two and a half robots because I'm just annoyed. Oh, I'm really. Um... I want to give it a three, but I feel like that might be too good for it. No, I'm going to give it a three because, you know, what? the art was pretty good. We didn't even mention the artists, Mahmoud, Asrar and Jordi Belair. Like the, the I'm going to I would give it two point five for the story and the kind of no point to it. But and the and just the the marketing that just pisses me off. But I'll give it the extra point five for the art. So I'll say three point five, uh, three. OK, so I would have put it at like two. But with the art, I'm giving it 2.5 because it's the the cash grab aspect of this book is what you know makes me be like, oh, negative three, off the top, <laughs> cash grab. Like it's you know that's what it is. It's what it is. It is. It's it, it, it's it's frustrating and it's annoying because legacy is what's supposed to be fixing this part of Marvel, that they're not just like some marketing machine. They're like we're going back to our roots and we're focusing. It's their rebirth. We're focusing on story and characters, and it's just more Marvel marketing. Nightwing The New Order issue one came out last week, written by Kyle Higgins, a Nightwing veteran, uh, with art by Trevor McCarthy. It's an Elseworld story, so one of those classic DC Elseworld stories where Dick Grayson, still kind of for unknown reasons, 
wipes out 90% of the world's metahumans, and now he heads up this task force tracking down and depowering superheroes. It's a very weird book. We want to talk about it, and we're also going to use this as a jumping point for a conversation that we have with a lot of creators. Matt, you and I, we've talked with Dan Slott. We have talked with Scott Snyder, Donna Cates about this, and that is how much can you change a character? How far can you go with them before they just cease to be themselves? And we have with us a beat reporter, Nick Enquist, who wrote a written review of Nightwing The New Order issue one last week. It's up on monkeysfightingrobots.com. You can check it out. Nick, what's going on? Uh, not much, not much. Thanks for having me on. Not uh, much? Come on, man. It's summer in Chicago. It's the last big weekend. There's got to be something going on. Uh, well, I've been sick throughout most of this last weekend, so yeah, nothing much is going on. Just binge watching the Defenders for the fifth or sixth time. I, I lost, I lost track. I hear the but, sniffles. I hear the sniffles there. Yep, yep, I got the sniffles. The the awful, awful sniffles. But thank God it's just sniffles today. It was something else yesterday. I I've been telling everybody this. Uh, if you watch the Defenders, I think that Troll Hunters is a better show than the Defenders. So watch that. All right, man, I'm going to have to strangle you, but you know what? We'll take care of that Hey, later. Guillermo That's retweeted fine. my fine. tweet. He loves me. It's a good story. It's a good story. No one, no one knows what Troll Hunters is. It was they... supposed to be a film that he was going to do, and then he couldn't get funding because none of his movies make a lot of money, and then he pitched it at Netflix as a cartoon series, and it has two seasons, and it's really good. My kid and I watch it, but I was like, wait a second, because after like two episodes, I was like, this has way more story than it should for a cartoon, and it's just it has a powerhouse uh, voice acting cast in it. Um, it's just a really good show. Some of the animation is a little wonky for me, but I, the rest of it is really good. It's a DreamWorks that people do how to train your dragon, so it's it's quality. And it's got like, that's how you know that's how you know a cartoon is good when you're watching it and you're just like, wow, this this has more story than expected. Nick, you sick. is better. Just just use this sick time. This being sick is perfect for a pop culture nerd because that's just an excuse that you have nothing else to do but just read comics and watch Netflix. So pretty much, yes. That's that's exactly what I did. Um so yes, Nightwing the New Order, before we completely lose track of ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, tell us what you thought about it. Well, I really I I liked it more than I thought I was going to. Uh because I I don't really love Elseworld stories. I like I generally, I, I'll like a couple of them, but like usually when a new one comes out, I don't really get invested in it. And like a lot of fans, when this came out, it kind of reminded me of Secret Empire. And I was kind of like, oh, do I really want to do deal with another fascist superhero kind of story? But when I picked it up, I was, I was really impressed with how Kyle Higgins focused on Nightwing as, a char- as his character and ha- his evolution and, to, and showing a completely new side to him that I think is some, something that we haven't seen as as a Nightwing fan. We definitely have not seen yet. And as a character that I think uh, in this world that I think really ex- expands on him and shows this whole new like world and everything about, about Nightwing that I, I think is really interesting for fans. And plus, it, ha- it gives this great mystery and this great world of like, oh man, what is going to happen next? I so, would have yeah. never thought that Dick Grayson had a Tony Stark in him. So this is still a little hard for me to grasp. And I just read the book and my big intrigue is, is who's the mom? 
is it Starfire is the mom of the kid or is it Barbara Gordon? Who knows? But I, I it's still taking me a little bit of time to adjust to to Dick Grayson having that fascist Tony Starkism in him. Well, I think what I, I said this in my review is it's not like sort of just a jump to evil. It's more like this is just where he's ended up after a life of very difficult choices. And I think that to me felt more believable or at the very least, maybe not believable, but definitely more. I want to know what happened. I want to know what those decisions were. So it keeps me as a reader more invested in that. And it does kind of give me that. Oh yeah, he has that Tony Stark in him. How did, how did that happen? Where did that come from? It does. And they give you very little like spoiler alert. Again, this book came out last week, but the very little that we get is that Batman died. Bruce died somehow, and that was the catalyst, clearly, for whatever it is Dick did. But, you know, you're talking a lot about Higgins' focus on the character, and it's also what I loved about this book. I love that it was a very character-driven story with some action set pieces in it and whatnot. And Nightwing's one of my favorite DC characters. He's one of my favorite characters. I love Dick. What can I say? And You had to go there? I whenever t- When I'm talking Nightwing... Or Richard Ryder Nova, I have to I have to go there. <laughs> just a couple of dicks, but <laughs> <laughs> two dicks. Wow, just a couple of dicks. But they really focus on the character, and it's weird because you'd think in a situation like this, like in a Secret Empire, everyone freaks out and they're just like, "This isn't Captain America. This isn't my Steve Rogers." But this still felt like Dick Grayson. This still yeah. felt like yeah. Nightwing. And even though he did some horrible things, I mean, Superman is friggin' dead or something at the beginning of this you still get the sense that he he's a good guy in there and he did it for whatever warped good intentions. There's the whole family scene at home with him and his kid and Alfred. It, it still feels like Nightwing. It doesn't yeah. feel like they've strayed too far, even though they took him to this really weird place. And I think uh, like the difference between this and uh, Secret Empire is like Secret Empire, Captain America doesn't feel like Captain America. He feels like Doctor Doom wearing Captain America's skin. And I think that's where that's where a lot of people kind of lose their interest, especially with the with the story and like why people were up in arms about it. And here uh, with Nightwing, the New Order, they like this is still Dick Grayson. You just happen to really not agree with him right now, but you still want him to be good. You still want him to be the character like you've all you grew up with. And I think that's 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 really uh, like uh, an applause to uh, Kyle Higgins uh, writing on this character that he's still able to. Hey, this is still Nightwing. He's just doing something you're really not comfortable with. No, I would have to say that, that I would I would stop giving it the secret empire like analogy and and lean it more towards civil war. I mean, because that's where the two sides were kind of divided. And, and you got, you know, I'm assuming because, you know, this is what I love to do in spoiled books, but I'm assuming that Batman isn't dead. He's going to come back. When they were talking about people raiding the the shelter or the factories that made the chemicals that inhibited metahumans, I was like, yeah, that's totally Batman blowing that shit up. You know, I was like, but then it turns out it's it's somebody else in it. Um, but I'm assuming that Batman's going to come back at some point in time. Uh, you don't think that Alfred and Nightwing would be the two people who would know that? If you saw, if, if you see Nightwing take a dark path, are you going to reveal yourself to him? Fair. <laughs> I could be completely wrong. I mean, he could just be dead, and that's the elseworld. That's the that's the motive for the elseworld world is that he died, and that could be the the super motive of it, you know. And so that's if you change that, then it 
you know, it kind of goes back to normal, you know, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, he could be dead, but originally I was like, when they were talking about that rating, I was like, oh, that's totally Batman. And it's going to be the, the 360, whatever, you know, kind of thing. But I mean, I, he'd be old. He'd be like Dark Knight Returns old. Yeah, so point. we're familiar with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely, when it came to like Tony Stark's change in Civil War, it felt really weird. Um, but reading this book, like you guys have stated before, I was like, oh, this still has the tone of Nightwing and the feel of Nightwing and like, I guess it's because he just wasn't that preachy in the book and he probably didn't have that many battles. It's just, it's, you know, Alfred's is kind of like his conscience. So it's kind of like a subdued conversation of good and evil. And I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I like the book cause it's Elseworld tales and there's like really no consequences in those books, you know, because it's just an Elseworld tale. But um, they're still well, great. Yeah. I mean, like kingdom come was an Elseworld tale. And Red that's Sun. a phenomenal book. I mean, Red Sun and uh, Elseworlds sales are some of the best DCs ever done. Okay. <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> Before we go down that rabbit hole with your okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna make this a bigger conversation, like I was saying, as far as how far can you take a character before they're no longer themselves? And I think we've kind of been talking about it, is that my argument whether when it's been Captain America, when it's been Spider-Man, Nightwing now, is that as long as the heart and the essence of the character is still there, you can do whatever you want with it. You can go far and crazy and stretch them. With Spider-Man, we've talked a lot on this podcast about Dan Slott's run, and neither Matt and I are big fans of it. I don't care if you make him a billionaire, honestly. I don't care if you give him Parker Industries. I care a little bit, but I, I don't really care if you do it right my problem is when you lose the heart and the core of Peter Parker. And I feel like Dan Slott is a Spider-Man writer, but not a Peter Parker writer. So that's where I have a problem with the changes he's made and how far he's taken it. Civil, not Civil War, uh, Secret Empire, Captain America. Again, it's a whole different Steve Rogers. He's Hydra. His motives are whole change. And when you're changing his motives, you're changing his core, you're changing his mission, you're changing his heart. For understandable reasons, Cosmic Cube, it's a little bit different, whatever. But with, with this, again... As we just said, I feel like this is staying more true to the core of Nightwing. Do you guys have similar feelings on how far you can change a character? I I think you can change a character if, like, I kind of look at Batman a lot with this because, like, Scott's because everyone has a very different interpretation of Batman. And you look at Scott Snyder's Batman, and he's like, he's not just a crime fighter who fights criminals and, you know, is a wears a cloak and is brooding. He's like this cosmic warrior of the dark and all these crazy things who's constantly getting into a mech suit and fighting you know secret cults and stuff and it's it's great because anthony like you said at the core it's still bruce wayne it's still batman it's just that scott snyder knows how to like you know rev it up a little bit but then you go to tom king and you see tom king really focusing on the mystery element of it and really focusing on like yeah i want to see batman kind of more damaged and more really inspect that like uh that psyche of him so they're both like taking two different uh, takes on it they're completely different from each other but at the core it's still bruce wayne and i think that's really really important and i do think a lot of writers they kind of stay they kind of get away from the character when they really want to do something unique and crazy with it but not like 
maybe but not like in a way that like still remains true to that character and i think the the best example i can give is uh, wonder woman uh oh geez meredith finch's wonder woman like it was a fun book to read and it was interesting but it just wasn't wonder woman it was just kind of this superwoman character that was going around fighting people it wasn't really wonder woman but well, it, it was still good to read but well there's some characters that have more rigid histories to where there's other characters because of who they are and what they do you have more leeway with them you know we and also like our personal attachments more the more we read the more we know the history so then we're able to judge better you know like a character like wonder woman i really didn't read a lot of wonder woman so when i see her um like my version of what my internal head version of wonder woman is from justice league unlimited so with the film you know i was like okay there's some elements in there and compassion is her huge thing so as long as she's compassionate and a badass you can pretty much fit a lot of different things in there for wonder woman so she's a you're easy you're able to be more broad with the strokes of wonder woman with Dick Grayson, I mean, what are what are those elements that make up Dick Grayson? I mean, like, he's kind of like a moral compass kind of character uh, who doesn't really go to dark or, you know. Well, and- the interesting thing about Dick Grayson was his biggest fear was becoming Batman. But we've already seen that now. I think we've seen that twice now. But with uh, Grant Morrison especially wrote Dick Grayson as becoming what he never wanted to be, which was, you know, the Dark Knight. So now we're at this point where, like, you know, with this Elseworld story, if you want to do something drastic with Nightwing, you can't make him Batman again. We've we've seen that. We've seen that in continuity. So now we need to see him where he can go even further with that. And I think this sort of take of blaming metahumans for, you know, the death of his mentor and his father figure and, you know, probably his best friend and, you know, taking it out on them and then, you know, following through with his decision on this to try and make the world a better place, even still creates a really interesting moral paradox that still fits true to Nightwing and that he's doing what he feels is morally right. But he's, but it's also something that, you know, has clearly isolated him in a way. See to me, and it's one of the reasons why honestly I like Nightwing a little more than Batman is the core component. What compassion is to wonder woman trust is to nightwing like you said he doesn't want to be batman and one of the batman's biggest flaws is he can't trust or strengths depending on how jaded you are but nightwing always tries to trust his allies or even in certain cases his enemies you know in each situation and he's trying not to be so jaded he's trying to look for the good in people he's trying to hope for the best in all these situations and that's what always differentiated him from batman and but it always made him just a little bit more, um, I don't even want to say relatable, but just more of a ideal character. He's kind of more of even a character that you look up to, like a Superman or a Captain America, because he has these ideals that he's unwilling to break in that he wants to see the good in everybody. Now, having said that, I, I feel like that kind of undermines what I was saying earlier about this book, because the premise is kind of that he clearly isn't trusting these people anymore. Even Superman, he's taken his powers away. So do we know he's taking Superman's powers away? How we else? don't really know what happened after that whole incident where he has seemingly taken down the Justice League. 
uh, yeah, but there's it one looks like he did it by himself. The, but there's <laughs> one panel, uh, if I could pull it up really quick, like right in the beginning, where it looks like Lex Luthor is impaled on the Daily Planet, or he's knocked out on the Daily Planet, and there's Doomsday there, and Mister Freeze is in the background, like. And Gorilla Grodd. And so, so it wasn't just heroes. He, he took down all the villains. He took so. down every. Well, something happened in Metropolis, and we don't know what that is. Like that's the big mystery of ever since what yeah. happened in Metropolis, and then then you got Dick Grayson going on a warpath and take. It looks like he took out everyone. But then, but I, is this breaking his core? Then, like, are we straying too far from what makes him him? I mean, and and granted, we don't know his full motivation yet so that might infer it but is does that kind of undermine everything that we said earlier in terms of oh this is this is dick grayson this is the core of him this is this is feels like a nightwing book because well, I, it's missing that trust well I, I i definitely see the trust component you're mentioning anthony and i definitely think that's definitely parts of nightwing but i also think a lot of uh, parts of nightwing is that this is going to be kind of weird, but I always kind of, he has kind of that James Bond quality to him where he's very charming and he's very funny and he's very friendly and he's very like open. And I think we do see some trust elements. Like there's that scene when he's being uh, sort of debriefed and he goes, and someone's like, uh, Mr. Grace. And he goes, please call me Dick. You know, like, you know, he's still, he's still like got that interpersonal communication and that like relationship he wants to have with everybody but it's just like go. But for some reason now with metahumans, he's gone off the deep end with that specifically. So we still see that trust there. Like he still trusts Alfred, even like he's like, look, this is what I feel like I have to do. Can you do you please do you understand that? And he's like, no, I don't understand it. And is uh, and then we say, well, I'm sorry, I got to keep keep doing this, and I know I'm going to disappoint you. But like, I think that's part of it. Is he also he does still consider everyone's feelings even though he knows he's going to disappoint them which i think that's that's definitely part of it so i guess like that trust and consideration that's a, that's a lot of part that's a lot of nightwing too i also don't think that we have enough information to kind of make like a solid decision on that's if this is absolutely a, true a nightwing's if this is a true feeling of nightwing i mean like but i do like how you talked about nick i like how you talked about with the the conversations because that's where like it feels like a dick grayson story the conversation with Alfred, that is something that you see, and in, in it's it's a it's a polite conversation where like like Batman's tone is very rigid sometimes when he's like made a decision. You, you, there's like a coldness to it, but with like Dick, there there's this friendliness that you have with it, and it you can feel it in the in the script and in the word balloons that come out. Like you you definitely know that this is a Dick Grayson tale. You know, I'm getting so many flashbacks to like when I'm trying to think. Yeah, Hal Jordan when he became Parallax, but you know it was triggered by a big event where a lot of people died, and you know this story has been told before, just never with this type of character because he's like, like I said, one of those moral compass characters, and his moral compass is off now, so it's it's interesting. How many robots are you giving it, Matt? Ooh, I'm giving it like three and a half out of five. Three and a half. I'll go. I'm gonna go four. I'm in that range. I'm in that range. It's been three and a half and four. I needed, like, they even say it in the book that the ending's predictable. You know, <laughs> so I mean, it's self-referential of like. So I needed something. I needed a little bit more detail because there's there's so many questions on this book, but I just needed a little more breadcrumbs to make me like 
really want read issue two. And Nick, again, your review, your full written review is up on monkeysfightingrobots.com. So everybody go check it out. Each week, we want to bring you an interview either from a beat reporter from Monkeys Fighting Robots or a comic book creator. This week, we have Nick Inquist. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I need some more excitement. I know you're sick, man, but Nick, come on. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Excelsior. There, that good, that good excitement for you? Perfect. Uh, you guys yeah. love that Excelsior. Stan Lee it. is just so Stan quotable. Impression I would. That, would that, that is a goal of mine. <laughs> just so quotable. I see two things on the board. Uh, a Dark Seed special and uh, Jack Kirby's birthday. And, and we're recording this on Monday, which is his actual birthday. Today is Jack Kirby's actual 100th birthday. Yeah. And DC has been putting out a number of 100th birthday specials for all of his characters. And they uh, also did Mr. Miracle, which is going to be an ongoing throughout the entire year for his birthday. So. I love Mr. Miracle so much. It's I Have you read all? Have you been reading all of the Jack Kirby specials, Nick? I've read most of them. Uh, I missed the uh, the one about the kids, like the like the GI Joe kids or something. I, I forgot what it was called. And uh, the Newsboy Legion. The Newsboy Legion. That's it. And I read, uh, but I read did read the uh, Orion special, which I really liked. I wasn't expecting to like that one so much. And I read the Dark Side one. So uh, I read those two as well. I read the the. I think it was technically New Gods. I don't think it was like Orion. Oh, New Gods. New New Gods but, but it was focused on Orion, so yeah. it's fair to say that. Uh, I, I liked it. I liked the Orion. It was, it was good. I, I don't really care that much about Orion as a character, but this was one of the first stories I uh, read about him that I was like, yeah, I kind of like him now. kind of kind of interested. I want to know more about him. The Dark Side special came out today. as when this, when this episode drops, it'll be out. I read it. I enjoyed it. It's, it's written by Mark... Evanier, have you pronounced his name? Evanier, who's a very close confidant of Kirby. He wrote like his biography. He's written intros to a number of Kirby omnibuses, omnibi. I, I feel like the story could have been more dark side centric. It could have been. I think it was a little weird to focus on like this resistance girl who's trying to overthrow dark side. And I mean, like, I definitely enjoyed myself reading it. I, I thought Darkseid was, every time Darkseid was on the page, I was having a blast. Uh, I thought it was cool to kind of see more levels of apocalypse, more of that kind of world. But, you know, just overall, it was a, it was certainly a very well-drawn book. It kind of kind of had more of like a, it looked like a Kirby, like a sort of a modern Kirby drawing, but it kind of had like a little bit of a Frank Miller vibe to it. A lot of like details and the lines and stuff. And Scott Collins. Scott Collins is Scott Collins, awesome. yeah, did a great job. So uh, I have two questions for you. And Matt, one of these questions is going to extend to you as well. A, Nick, what, what's been your favorite Jack Kirby special? And you could answer that first. Sure. Uh, I think the New Gods one I liked a little bit more. I think it kind of it gave me more pathos to Orion as a character. And I, I just it had also a lot of action, which I generally kind of like to see in, in my comics. So, And I, I think it was... Definitely very creative with how with the fighting and the worlds and showing kind of the duality between Orion and Light Ray. Light Ray was cool to see too. So yeah, yeah it was. I think that was just a little bit better. I like I like I like both a lot. I would reread re re both in a heartbeat. But yeah. And then it. who for both of you? Who is your favorite Jack Kirby character? Could be Marvel or DC, whatever. I was looking up covers, and I know 
I, the Fantastic Four cosmic stuff is amazing when they introduce like Galactus and Silver Surfer. But for some reason, I'm really oddly attached to the Daredevil where he hangs out with Kazar for a while. Like it's just we it's just it's such a weird concept because like I think of him in the Savage Land as like an X Men thing, but early on he was just hanging out with Daredevil a lot, and it's just it just it's just weird concept. Kazar was kind of Marvel's answer to Kamandi, right? Or was it the other way around? I always associate them. I don't know honestly which one came first, but I always associate them together. Even their okay. names are way too similar. Yeah, I don't um, know. I associate it with Hot Rogue. Jim Lee hot rogue when she was in the Savage Land. So I get I have a I have a weird 13-year-old Matt Sardo rogue <laughs> in the Savage Land crush. Uh, I guess I really do like Mr. Miracle, but it's weird. I never read a single Mr. Miracle comic until the Tom King one and then I actually reread some of the Jack Kirby's older stuff. Uh, but I just really liked Mr. Miracle on his concept and his design. So based off of that I really liked him, but I guess, like, overall, the one that I find the most memorable, the one that I always really enjoyed watching on Justice League and the one that I always, like, love to uh, read on the comics was always Granny Goodness. And I just love that this evil grandma that just controls every, all the children on Apocalypse and, like, tortures them but is has the demeanor of a sweet old woman. I just think that's hysterical. I don't know if it counts... This is going to go for like one of my favorite Jack Kirby covers and maybe one of his one of my favorite Jack Kirby characters. It's Spider-Man who was Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko drew Amazing Spider-Man, but Jack Kirby designed him and Jack Kirby drew the cover to Amazing Fantasy 15, one of the best covers ever made. Does that count as a Jack Kirby character? He designed him. Ah. He didn't. It's iffy. It's yeah, I mean, really you know, iffy. It's, it's, it is a little iffy because I was also thinking he did design the X-Men, too. I was thinking about saying that as well. But, like, the X-Men is just such a big ball game. Once you kind of get onto one, like, it all kind of just sort of spirals out of control. So yeah. I'll give it to you. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not I'm not the technical police on this one. I do love his new God stuff. I, I do want to read his whole fourth world saga. I've read a little bit of it. I, just, I love the story of it. I love yeah. him getting into a argument with Stanley, not like, you know, getting out of sorts with him leaving. And I love that he put Stanley in his fourth world saga at DC funky <laughs> flashman or whatever his character's name was, where it's just like a mockery of Stan at the time. Yeah. I, I, I just, I just think it's really fascinating how Jack Kirby, like this Jewish man kind of writes about the new gods and really like reinterprets Christian dogma in a way that's both like really endearing but also really goofy and i think it's really it's really fun to read and really interesting and yeah i i i really want I, like like anthony said i need to start reading those uh, new gods uh sagas too i really want to read all of it nick thank you for your time thanks matt i had a great time as always i will next time be more enthusiastic and hopefully not sick <laughs> i know because you're from chicago aren't you into like improv and like goofing off and all that funny stuff like when I expect to you like have, have Nick on the with sh- any improviser, and you will hate them too. <laughs> uh, no, I I I I have a whole bunch of friends that were in from Chicago because I was there for a while, and they were like, we'd be hanging out for a little bit, and somebody would always be spouting off Shakespeare, and and they would be like, I'm an actor, and I was like, no, you're just a really bad waiter. Like I was the bar. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so that was always my thing to the Shakespeare guy. Because like, somebody would always be there, spouting there, Shakespeare. There was, there, was, there was exactly one Shakespeare guy, and he kept following you around and just quoting Shakespeare at you. You know, I met him, too. He's like the tamale guy. He just appears at bars at 3 in the morning, and you're like, oh, I didn't want to see you. I wanted to see the tamale guy. Where is he? I miss the tamale guy so much. Ah, such a Such a beautiful man. Because he always shows up when you need him most. Like, if there was yeah. ever a superhero in this world, it's the tamale guy. Like, that's the superhero I, I want to be. <laughs> the tamale guy. Just say my name three times, I appear with a tamale. Oh, that's great. Uh, you should change your uh, Twitter handle to the tamale guy. You'll probably get tons of followers. But how can people oh. follow you on Twitter? Well, uh, you can follow me just by uh, searching um, uh, Nick Enquist, E-N-Q-U-I-S-T. My Twitter handle is... Nick underscore knack uh, uh, underscore and so Nick knack and yeah you can find me there and uh, find all the bad jokes I put up there and uh, all my really random rants about you know Chipotle and things I don't know I'll, I'll think of something to rant about you go to you live in Chicago and you go to Chipotle to get Mexican food what the hell's the matter with you I feel like I'm on trial here and I don't know what I did <laughs> <laughs> Nick what else are you reading this week uh, this week I'm reading uh, I'm reading the end of Secret Empire so I can uh, say I read it and then never have to justify my hatred for it ever again. <laughs> awesome. Talk to you next month, man. Good having you. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. We normally have like a soapbox segment, but you know the Defenders came out two weeks ago, and I feel like most people have seen it by now, and and Anthony and I have seen it, and. I was pleasantly surprised with the series. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, we're going to get into it. So come back to this after you binged it. I was pleased by it. I enjoyed it. It was, you know, one of the better Marvel Netflix shows, I thought. Better than Iron Fist, which I didn't hate. I didn't hate Iron Fist. I'm not one. I, I know a lot of people did. I didn't hate Iron Fist. This was better than Iron Fist. I might have even enjoyed it more than Luke Cage. And I liked Luke Cage. I enjoyed this. Be- okay, so Iron Fist is on the lowest for me because I skipped episodes because I was just annoyed. I was like, I just need to get to the ending. So I, I, I didn't skip episodes here. Luke Cage is just above Iron Fist. And then Daredevil, Daredevil. And then Jessica Jones is the top for me. Yeah, I love Jessica Jones. So I'd have to, it'd still have to go Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Daredevil, Defenders for me. So it's, it's, that's where I'm ranking it. That's pretty fair, either that or I would put it in between one of the Daredevil seasons. I don't even know if I could say that. Just the Daredevil seasons for me, sometimes I feel like they just they go a little long. I feel like these shows can go a little long, which was a huge benefit for the Defenders. I loved it being eight episodes. I almost want more Marvel shows to just be eight episodes. Because I feel like it was just the pacing was so much better. We didn't get lost in it. Like Daredevil season two is great. I like the Punisher stuff a lot. I like the hand stuff a lot. But it just seemed really long. You know, all these Marvel shows, sometimes they have filler episodes, which you don't need to have on Netflix. I think eight episodes could be the way to go. But then I said that recently and someone told me, well, would you have wanted less Jessica Jones? I'm like, no, just take it case by case basis, people. Case by case basis. No, but I think all of them could be tighter. I think they all could be tighter. And even Jessica Jones gets a little wonky towards the middle and... They, yes, I agree with you that if you if you put him down in the eight episode, you might not get the stupid the stupidity episode, like whatever yeah, it is. Like Daredevil the, season two could have been two shorter seasons: one Punisher, one Hand. 
Ooh, that would have been nice. My biggest gripe with the Defenders is when I heard that Sigourney Weaver was cast in the show, I was like, she needs to be Mephisto. And I ruined it for myself. Because she has red hair? No, like, she doesn't have red hair. Like, I would, when she just got cast, I was like, oh, she would be an amazing Mephisto. Like, because she has an evil speed. Like, she can get evil, you know? And, like, it would be a nice turn on the character to make the devil a female character. Like, I thought there was just a lot of things aligning perfectly. And then you could kind of, like, since they've already introduced Ghost Rider over in Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, you could start tying in all that stuff if you have... Kun Lao, and then you start introducing, you know, Doctor Strange and Mephisto, like that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like it would have been a nice bridge to bring in magic to the world. And that's where I ruined it because I wrote my own version of Defenders. You wrote, you wrote your own better version of the Defenders in your mind. I, I, I enjoyed the series from a character perspective and a chemistry perspective. Like, I really, I, I like all of these characters. I like the way they interacted. My favorite episode was, I think, the one in the Chinese restaurant. I think episode three. Like, I love I love the end of episode two when they all get together in the office building and they have the hallway fight scene. It's awesome. And then episode three where it's basically a bottle episode in the restaurant. And then I just like all the chemistry throughout the series. I really like Luke and Danny's interactions with each other. So from a character standpoint, I thought it was great. How would you feel about the story? Because that was... I wouldn't even say it's a gripe of mine. It's just like it was kind of there. Like it was kind of like, you know, it even kind of got muddled towards the end. By the end of it, you almost kind of lost track of, oh, yeah, New York's life hangs in the balance for some reason because it's rested on dinosaur bones. And like it just um, it seemed way more character driven than story driven. The first four episodes are awesome. Like the, just how they build everybody, bring everybody together. And then it ends with them like getting ready to fight the battle. And I was like. Ooh, this is awesome. And then it never really, for me, topped that afterwards. You know, I mean, like, there's a few cool fight scenes here and there. I like the hand, like the concept of the hand. I just thought that, they, I even posted this, like, on Facebook. Like, they needed better henchmen. There wasn't bad, like, you know, you had these four characters. And it's like, when you put a comic book together, like, okay, who is the opposite of Jessica Jones? Who's the opposite of Luke Cage? Who is the, you know, and like they did that for a second, like the one dude who did the pressure points, Kung Fu, but then he loses his head. Like that was the guy, that was the guy that I was like, this guy is a badass. And then I got rid of him really quick and I was like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sigourney Weaver was good. The other Marvel, the other fingers of the hand. You yeah, know. but even she was had a problem because, like, I hated the fact that you knew that she was dying right away. Like, you're supposed to be a super villain, and you never really got ultimate super villain out of her because, like, they handicapped her. Like, they tried to give you motivation, but they end up handicapping, like, her super villain prowess. I mean, they're not super villains, though, right? I mean, really, all they want to do, all they've done is just survive and make money. Like the only reason that they're even considering destroying New York is just to keep doing that. But it wasn't like super villainy. Like I'm going to destroy the earth for global domination. It was just like, we want to live. We want to survive, which is a cool motivation and a cool premise. But I wouldn't really, I wouldn't put them in the same 
category as some of the other MCU villains. Yeah. And then, like you said, it, it does get like, I still don't know how they were going to topple the city. And I watched yeah, I, every episode. I think, and it wasn't even from the show, which is bad. It should have been from the show. They should have been more clear. But just reading things and watching things afterwards, I think it was just because the city was apparently held up by those dragon bones. And if they're mining it, they would have removed like the structure beneath the city and the city would have caved in, which also doesn't make sense to me because the bones were only there when they opened the door. So what was holding the city up beforehand? Like it's, it's wonky. That's what I'm saying. Like they lost track of the story along the way. Yeah. Because like if it was, cause you thought they were opening up Kung Lao and going there. And I was like, okay, they did. how, how they does did. that, how does that destroy everything? Because that was the whole point. If they go to Kung Lao, they're going to destroy everything. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, that which was also what, which also what happened to Kun Lun? Like, which I guess they can answer that in the next season of Iron Fist. But like it was gone at the end of Iron Fist season one. Yeah, but it just wasn't there. Like he they can. I mean, like it's a mystical, it's a mystical place. Like it wasn't there, like on the plane anymore. Like I can, you know, it's kind of like it's interdimensional kind of thing. Like it was there for a while and you hiked this way and you got there and then they're like, no, we're going to go somewhere else. Like, I don't know oh, I where. Thought it, I thought it was just, I thought that they stole the door to Kun Lun. Like I thought that was the premise was that Danny at the end of season one of Iron Fist, Danny's just like, oh, I can't get back to Kun Lun. Like I thought. Oh, that they so you think the hand took the door and then put the door in New York City to open up the door? I don't know. And the fact that we're asking these questions and don't have the answers for it is. Writing was horrible. Is poor storytelling. It's poor writing. Yeah. I am excited by the premise of Daredevil season three now, just based on where this is coming from, because having him in the church with the nuns and Mother Maggie, if anyone knows, Mother Ma that's his mom. Mother Maggie, the nun, is Matt Murdock's mother, literally. And it's all taken from Frank Miller's run, which a lot of this Netflix stuff is taken from Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. And Born Again, Daredevil Born Again, is one of the greatest superhero comics ever written. Personally, my favorite Frank Miller comic. I like it better than The Dark Knight Returns. Like, it, like it's incredible. Before Frank Miller did Batman and revolutionized comics with Batman, everyone's like, oh, Frank Miller's Batman is what made comics cool and gritty and dark. No, it was his Daredevil run. He did that first, and it was dark and gritty and intense. Born Again's awesome. And the fact that they're kind of introducing these elements gives me a lot of hope for Daredevil season three, even though I know fully well they're not going to do Born Again. Like Charlie Cox, the actor, has even come out and he's pretty much been like, we'll take elements from it. We can't do a full on adaptation because then there'll be no suspense. You'll know what's coming, blah, blah, blah. But I'm really excited at the idea that even parts of it might show up. See, then the bullshit, because like we knew it was going to happen in The Walking Dead. And then when it happened, we were still like, holy shit. Okay. Good for good you. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> you gotta work I was going to say it. good for you. You got to work on it. <laughs> it was my turn. Oh, man. I. You know what's funny is every time that, and it happened with season one, the first episode of season one of Daredevil, or maybe like a couple episodes in, and it happened as soon as season one or episode one of Daredevil 2 happened, and then it happened with the Defenders. I always forget how much I love Daredevil. 
And when he shows up, when they show up, I was like, damn it. Like, he doesn't look anything like Matt Murdock to me, but he still, he has the personality for me. No, I agree. For once. (laughs) Daredevil is one of my favorite Marvel characters. He's one of my favorite superheroes. Charlie Cox does an incredible job, even though he doesn't look like Matt Murdock has been portrayed before. And I love the legal aspect of it, especially the Daredevil show in particular. I love the legal aspect of Daredevil, making it a legal drama. Charles Soule is doing that a lot in his Daredevil run right now. If you're not reading it, go read it. He just did this huge arc called Supreme in his Daredevil comic, and it was all a legal drama with like superhero stuff sprinkled in, but it was a legal drama. It was Matt Murdock taking a case to the Supreme Court with just like a little bit of Daredevil stuff sprinkled throughout, and it was awesome. Like I, I like the legal aspect of Daredevil. And now we have to wait for The Punisher, which I think is going to be amazing. Me too. He was one of the best parts of Daredevil season two. Well, again, I think it's one of those things where like, we were, we talked about this with with Nightwing. Like, that doesn't take a lot to be a Punisher character. Like, you know, there's only a few things you have to do to be a Punisher character. Like, your family has to get killed, and you have to want to kill the people that wanted to kill your family. Like, it's pretty simple. Like, <laughs> do you think Moon Knight is going to show up as he's rumored to? Okay, I I'm the one who said that rumor. Uh, I still haven't got enough sources to prove that rumor yet, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Can we talk? Can we talk about this? Yeah, we can talk about this. It's fine. Because right, when I when you said that, when you posted that, it was um, it makes a lot of sense to me because if the Punisher series shows his background in the war, Moon Knight Mark Spector was a mercenary in the war. Yeah. So even if they don't show Moon Knight full on, they could probably introduce Mark Spector. And that makes sense. And um, Moon Knight just joined the Defenders, I believe. Bendis announced that. Oh. So that's the... There's a, there's a couple different dots, and they might line up to Moon Knight. You know? I'd be down. Uh, Moon Knight, again, one of my favorite Marvel characters, doesn't get enough credit. And he's been... People have been talking about giving him a Netflix show for a long time, so... If Marvel knows what's good for them, they should listen to their fans. Anthony, I think that's where we end. I will uh, I'll talk to you next week. Can't wait. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeysfightingrobots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? There are so many people that made the 11th episode of the comic show on Monkey Spider Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Composto. I very well may go home tonight and reread Born Again. Ooh, inspiring. Nick Enquist joined us as well. Thank you, Nick. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey Spider Robots logo, Are You Monkey, Are You Robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps it running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this 
is Monkeys Fighting Robots. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.